Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Intelligent Transport Podcast. My guests today are Luisa Varlik from Here Technologies and Julian Renninger from SBB. Those names will be familiar to some listeners as Luisa and Julian also joined us on a webinar earlier this year to discuss collaboration and making urban mobility more accessible and sustainable. If you missed that, you can actually go back and watch On Demand and I really recommend doing so. There's a ton of fantastic insight there that you will not want to miss. Just head to intelligenttransport.com forward slash here webinar. For now though, let's get going. Julianne, Louisa, thank you very much indeed for joining me on this episode of the Intelligent Transport podcast. Uh, before we get going, it'd be great just to get a really quick intro from each of you. Um, so who you are, what you do at Here Technologies, and I guess why we're, why we're here talking about this topic today. So maybe I, I start, uh, Julian, if that's okay for you. So my name is Luisa Valik. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm the Director for Industry Solutions Transport and Logistics at Here Technology. Uh, while the title probably doesn't mean too much uh, to, to, to others, what, what I'm basically responsible for is translating what we're hearing in the industry, what we're hearing and learning from customers and partners that we're working with in the, into product strategies and, and product development, working a lot in co-creation setups to develop better solutions for the market. And hello everyone, my name is Julian Renninger. I'm working at SCB, the Swiss Railway, and um, I'm working at Swiss Smart Mobility where we try to discover and develop the mobility of the future and support SCB in its vision to shape the mobility of the future and offer the, um, the best for all our citizens. My speciality, I think, is routing and intermodal routing um, as a crucial part of this new world of mobility, or maybe even not, we will see in discussion. Awesome. Thank you very much, guys. So we're here um, here today as a as a follow up to uh, the webinar that we ran back in back in September, and we're answering some of just basically talking through some of the points that our audience raised that we didn't have time to uh, to go through on on the day. And kicking that off is some talk around intermodal travel. And the first question I want to hit you guys with is when and why people travel or choose to travel you know using intermodal services um when when it makes sense for them to do so and also the circumstances in which it makes sense for operators and authorities to provide those services um so uh julian i'll, I'll come to you first as the representative from from spb um to share your insight on that what we observe is that many people are already used to travel intermodal, but we just don't name it like this. I mean, many people are used to take their own bike just to go to the next train station or to go to a tram station and continue with this. But when we're talking about intermodality from our point of view from, from mobility operators, we're seeing it as a more as a broader concept that people are totally willingly and normally using different modes of transport and interchanging them as they would interchange between tram and buses. And we notice that people are willing to do so when they like it it's not so much about it's faster it's they like it they like to go with the bike because the sun is shining they like to go with the car because i don't know they have to have it carry heavy luggage to the airport and they would try to take non-stop train or stuff like this so different to the world of today where we often just look in the timetables and the routings of the fastest options suddenly these these options of convenience these options of my personal preferences are much stronger and um People like to take into model roads when it feels good for them. 
And I think this is a crucial difference because feeling good for them is quite hard to reflect in IT products, um, which are a bit more, how should I say, cold. And for us operators, um, we would like that people take the take intermodal routes, I think, to tackle two problems. The first one is to ease the access to public transport, um, like parking lots and so, and so forth, that people can access the public transport more easy, especially in, let's say, remote areas. And the second one is to somehow manage these low frequency offers a bit better. I mean, in the night when there's a bus running with just one person, I mean, we could just not drive this bus, but offer some other options like e-scooters or your own car, and then give you access to the trains and buses, which are a bit running a bit better. So managing our load and offering the access to. And Luisa, from you, in, in your experience of working with operators and, and agencies, you know, what does this look like from a from a here technologies perspective, you know, and, and how can you, I suppose, really support operators looking to provide much more accessible multimodal and in, intermodal transport services? Yeah, and I, I, I'd also like to come back to a few points that also uh, Julian mentioned, because I, I think you could also argue, do people that follow habits or patterns meaning they know exactly how to get from A to B, and it might be intermodal or it might not be intermodal, but if they know what they're doing, do they really need technology? And I would argue they don't. Um, I think what, what we're seeing also with all that hype around mobility as a service, this is also a result of, let's say, the emergence of so many new options, also of so many more, let's say, spontaneous trips, potentially disrupted trips because you have traffic on your way, the train doesn't go, COVID, we'll probably talk about this, huge effect because people feel very uncertain all of a sudden about their usual travel habits. Um, And I think this is where technology, and ultimately technology is just about information um, to the consumer and having more information and more transparent information, this is where it suddenly makes sense, I think. Um, But I think for those that know exactly how to get from A to B, we don't really need technology. So I think this is is one point that that I want to make. And then I think, um, but this is also no news, um, people will only follow this steering that we as potentially public transport operators or technology players think how people should change their behavior if it's easy and convenient. Right? Uh, we have that discussion. I won't download any additional app just to travel intermodal because that's just way too frictionful. So I think this entire integration and seamlessness, uh, to mention a few buzzwords here, I think this is absolutely critical. And this is also where technology can play a role again. And then I think this is uh, the one point that uh, Julian mentioned last. And I think this is also one perspective to it that is not really being uh, solved yet, and we're really at the beginning there, um, is the entire operations and network behind it. And this is something that you cannot solve in an app. It just does not make sense to run a a large bus in off-peak times during the night, um, uh, connecting urban and suburban areas, if no one were to take that connection. And this comes back a bit to 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 integrated networks. Um, And and, and what I mean with this is today we have public transportation, but that is schedule based and that schedules pretty much runs in isolation, 
I'd say. And then we have, of course, ride hailing, we have bikes, um, uh, we have e-scooters, and they're also operated in isolation in a way. And I think if we really want to provide these more convenient, faster, cheaper, whatever intermodal routes, also these operational networks need to be much more integrated. And this is probably the much harder part because this cannot be solved in an app, but that requires really infrastructure providers, mobility service operators, authorities to come together and align also on common goals, uh, which we know sometimes they're very different because in the private sector, it's about profitability, it's about revenue. Um, in the public sector, it's more about accessibility, affordability uh, of transport services. And I think aligning this is, is one of the hardest challenges that we're facing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's what we, we see here as well in in the discussions that we have. It's an incredibly interesting time, but there are just so many challenges and hurdles um, in the way of achieving that, the kind of integration that the industry is, is seeking. And it's it's a case of working out the requirements and I suppose the non-negotiables between the public and the private sectors. Um, and those can sometimes be, you know, I think issues that that can't be overcome. Um, it's, it's an incredibly difficult thing, but I think what's really important to note is that this work is being done kind of en masse at the moment. Um, and there is a real drive and a, a real push to achieve these goals. Um, you know, not least in, and it's great to kind of see it demonstrated in, in having conversations like this with someone like here and someone like SBB as well. I really enjoy what, what Luisa just talked about. And I think no one really waited for intermodality. Uh, the people out in the street, no one is interested into this. The, the, the problem nowadays is solved. They take the train, they take the, their own car, everything's fine. I think this vision we have of the interconnected mobility is an amazing one, but it's quite a long way to go there and I'm absolutely support this thought from Louisa that it's not just an app you don't solve this problem with an app and I think we often have the feeling right now that if you build this app and off, off, open the access to everyone then it will work I'm convinced like Louisa it won't work we really have to work together on this but I'm not seeing this a lot I'm still seeing all this mistrust between the governmental organization service providers like here and OSPT organizations we still don't discuss on a, on a, on a plain level field and after feeding we are much further away from the vision than we actually think we are but maybe the self-driving cars at one point will catch up and then it really disrupts but uh, let's see how far this is away i think this is a long way uh, this is a long way to go and i think also yeah. they are they, they are maybe reflecting a bit globally right um it, it might be much easier in asia and and in the americas um in in, in europe which just have this insane fragmentation um, also, there's a very strong role also, also of public transportation, um, which I think can be a huge benefit and advantage. But for now, it just slows us down. Um, this is a bit what I'm, uh, what I'm seeing because, because there are so many strong partners, let's say, in the same room. And, and, and it's really hard to find that, as you say, level playing field for cooperation. I especially notice this also right now in COVID that my train company things are like 40 years horizons and all our young tech companies and startups and changing the mobility are thinking in like three years horizons and if i really would like to change something in, in the way we move we have to 
build different infrastructure, but this we plan today for in 40 years, and the infrastructure we are living in now we planned 40 years ago. There is like a, there's this very impatient tech startups trying to build apps and change the world now, and this old, strong, governmental and organizations thinking, yeah, yeah, let's see in 40 years. Also, I think the unit economics are a bit different, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a tech company, you, 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 it's, it's a race for scale. You, you go for user base. Uh, th this is a bit what, what we're seeing in this industry. The more users you have, the business model you will figure out in the end, pretty much. This is a bit the attitude. While, while yes, in the public sector, it's, it's about um, respecting all this criteria of sustainability, of accessibility, of reliability. It's entirely different metrics that you would use for these, for these models. And I think this is also part of the clash um, that we're seeing. And maybe this is also why, why we don't invest into them so much. I'm noticing that SCB is a bit laid back when investing into these new mobility services because they see like, hey, okay, they're here now. We have no scooters for two years, but in three years they're away. But we are looking for the solution for in 40 years. We have to build a tunnel now. We have to build a train station now. And this defines how the mobility is working in the city tomorrow. So they, I don't know, these old men on the top of these companies are sometimes thinking, think like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a hype. It goes away. There are some good examples if you think about mobility hubs using physical space near train stations to kind of facilitate that, that switch from one mode to the other. And I, and I think, yeah, infrastructure just plays a super critical role in making better use of infrastructure that is already there. Um, I think this is maybe one, one, one better example of where we're already seeing this collaboration happening. Um, but yes. So... I mean, picking up on that thread, you know, how important do you think it is that, uh, Julian, you know, as, as you've said, for for operators like SPB who maybe have these super long-term plans, how important is it in circumstances like these to try and be more adaptable and I think more, you know, like like the tech start, startups that you referenced, more agile and more, more flexible? Um, I think it's tremendously important to be more agile and flexible, but in the sense of that we can really develop customer orientated and that the IT we develop is a bit more flexible, but in the end of the day, the tunnel is there. I think PT organizations need to be more flexible and be a bit more agile, especially in the software development to be more customer centric. But however, the plans, our target is still there 40 years ahead or 30 years ahead. We are buying now train, new train and new carriages for in 30 years. But we still have to be somehow on the way agile. I think target is still fixed. We, we build a tunnel there. We buy a train there. We build a track there. And we will build, rebuild the station. But on the way, I think we have to be much more flexible to adjust to the new circumstances. Maybe the role of a hub changes. So we have to think maybe more in... We have to think maybe less in, in a clear target, more in solution spaces. Okay, we would like to buy a train. It should fulfill this and that and that, but the rest we figure out on the way. I think we have to change a bit the way we think. But the long time horizon, I think we can't get rid of. Yeah, for sure. It's really important to have, I guess, a, a a kind of goal that you're that you're aiming at, and to know that what you, the work you're doing now is to support future generations. And you know, you've both said that you think the um the kind of integration that we're looking for in the public transport industry more broadly is some way off. I mean, you're building for that future now, right? So it's it's crucial work. So while we're while we're looking ahead at this kind of long term long term picture. Uh, gives me a chance to bring in the next point that I wanted to talk about here, um, which is obviously it's been referenced already because we can't help but reference it at the moment. It's COVID-19 um, and 
just wondering whether from your perspectives whether we already have some kind of indication of the long-lasting changes to to the sector that, that COVID-19 is, is going to bring about um, and also you know whether you see that reflected in the data or whether you can kind of predict it from the data as well. We have access to vast amounts of data from positioning and then traffic prop data where our um, apps or services are in use. Um, I think what we can all see um, is the short-term impact very much, right? And if you analyze the data, you would really see, and this is probably no surprise to, to, to anyone, um, we see that sharp decline in overall mobility during that first lockdown, if I'm now talking about Europe. Um, and, and, and then you see a fairly sharp recovery of private car usage, so traffic on the roads that you can measure there. And then you also see a sharp increase of bicycle uh, traffic or people traveling by bicycle. We're also seeing this by uh, authorities or cities reallocating uh, lanes to bicycles. Uh, so there's also, um, let's say, an incentive from the infrastructure side. So we're seeing this. Uh, we also saw that decline in public transportation usage. But this is a much slower recovery. And I think this is also um, the explanation is this social distancing and fear of people not to be with too many other people that they don't know um, in, in a uh, small environment or let's say in having only small space uh, in a given uh, transport mode. Um, I think what of this will really be long-term or mid-term even, this is really hard to predict. I think we're seeing some, some macro trends maybe, and this is related to flexibilization of work or working from home. We have all seen these announcements from large companies that basically say we will never really introduce um, uh, uh, office work as a mandatory uh, requirement. So there will be much more flexibilization in these kind of traffic flows that would usually happen in peak times. Right? Everyone would travel in the morning and then everyone would travel in the afternoon, early evening. I think this, this will last. Um, and this is also, I think, a chance for transportation to balance the load a bit better. But if people will still have this fear and social distancing need, I think we need to see, hopefully not. I think that's not in the nature of, of us humans. Uh, but, but keen also, Julian, to get your perspective, because I think public transportation is, is most affected um, from, from COVID and, let's say, the impacts of it. Yeah, I think short-term-wise, you really don't want to be a manager in these public transport companies, as we have, like, the only thing we can do is save money and kill projects. Um, I think in a long-term perspective, we're quite relaxed. However, can often feel in here in the digital LA's when I digitally walk through my company the fear that this moment of truth right now where everyone is in that people are open to take a train and not buying a car is now like ah oh, now okay let's buy a car that now is the moment where many people notice that the freedom of their own car is quite a wonderful freedom you would like to keep and they invest into their own car and the moment they invest into their own car we lost them I think we're more scared of this long-term effects, especially of the young people for them. I mean, I can't drive a car, but now I'm learning just personally. And, uh, and already this affects me a little bit, um, how the things change. I think this is the only thing we're really scared of as SBB. Sometimes I think also 
It also helps, I think, especially in local areas, that the trains and buses were rather too full. So maybe we can take this two, three years taking a breath to really think about the concept of the future and um, not having too full trains. Yeah, for sure. I, I, you know, I think that the changes we've seen in people's travel choices have been um, been extraordinary, really. Um, from public transport's obviously being dramatically affected, um, but the number of people who have chosen active active travel methods um, has been really encouraging to see. And I think we're you know we're seeing huge levels of investment from governments all over the world in bolstering um yeah supportive infrastructure to ensure that if we ever kind of get back to i guess normal if that's a thing anymore um that those people's choices are are still available and still supported um and i think this it's another chance here to to bring in the next the next theme in sustainability and and the mobility of of the future because obviously everything that we're seeing here with the pandemic is going to have a a significant knock-on knock-on effect um and you know julian just taking your personal example of starting to learn how to drive at this point because of the freedom that it that it gives you you know i think you can probably take that example and multiply it quite significantly across europe and across the world and and know that you're probably not alone in in making that decision and taking that choice now you know how how dramatically do you think that that kind of thing might affect um sustainability and i guess shared mobility moving forwards i only have my gut feeling so maybe hand it over to louisa who has a bit more data driven knowledge yeah let's go i i don't really have data on that one it's also more um guesstimates i guess i personally do believe that sustainability is the more dominant trend if we compare it to COVID and, and, and social distancing and um, yeah, reduced travel behavior on a, on a broader scale. So I'm, I'm, I'm certainly convinced of this. Um, what, what I think we, we also need to, let's say, collaboratively discuss is what are good levers to start with. And I think infrastructure, again, can incentivize a lot uh, to promote bicycle usage Uh, Julian talked about maybe we should think about our public transit schedules and are they really on demand or can we not uh, create more demand-driven kind of services? I think this is another uh, way there. I also think personally uh, that that, uh, companies and corporates have a big responsibility here. I think we still have way too many company cars out there. And of course, if you get this as an employee, as an incentive, you will take this and then you have that car Um, I think if we're looking at Germany, uh, really a vast amount of new car sales, this is coming from uh, from company cars. So maybe this is also a good way to start because this is where politics have much greater influence over, let's say, private um, uh, purchasing behavior. Um, So so I would also think this is a lever which is not really uh, tackled too much yet. There are some some first, I think, initiatives. Um, I just joined a hackathon organized by by SAP uh, and the city of Heidelberg. They're also with the public transport agency of Heidelberg. And they came up with really amazing prototypes all around sustainability. And I think also there it's about incentivizing people to be more sustainable. And that can be uh, solved with gamification approaches or counting points or getting incentives for being more sustainable. I think if we're looking at today's apps, this is also something 
if we're talking about consumer behavior and changing consumer behavior, which we can put much more in focus also uh, to show you what's your CO2 footprint of each of your journey and maybe um, also suggesting you ways of, of doing that a bit better on the consumer side. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think what's really interesting is when we, when we talk about sustainability, it, it, there's a lot of a lot of focus on what it means for mobility to be, you know, to be green and, and shared. Um, but there's there's another side to this, which is looking at our cities and our infrastructure as well. So what what I wanted to come to next kind of takes us back um, back a little way to uh, to the first point really, uh, and looking at how we organise the mobility of of the future, um, and what that from your perspectives is really going to look like when you take into consideration the the public transport network. Uh, which integrates other services and the extent to which some third parties can maybe launch their own own services in a I guess almost deregulated market um, at will you know we've seen some pretty poor examples around the world of that kind of thing happening and some very steep learning curves from from cities do you think we're in a much better place now than we were maybe three four five years ago I'd say we're still learning um, I think it's it's probably uh, too too early to say. As you say, I think there have been uh, first first experiences uh, made, also first uh, tendencies uh, shown um, of of where this can go if you deregulate that market. Um, I think this is also um, Europe very much took the took the perspective of of wait and see. Um, so now we're we're we I'd say we're far behind. But at the same time, we have that opportunity to be to be learning from from others' mistakes, maybe to to put it like this. And and then I think the obvious question of who should kind of orchestrate these transport services and networks, I think that uh, ties very nicely to to Julian's point on on the question before. If we if we look at it as much broader than just transportation, but really citizens' well-being, livable cities. Um, on, a, on a much broader scale. I think it's also clear that, that this needs to be in a very close public-private partnership approach, um, but, but probably on the public side, kind of driving agenda, setting objectives um, that then can be executed uh, upon. Um, otherwise, we might fall too short of of contradicting exactly these goals of sustainability and, and accessibility in in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and Julian, and anything to add? Um, I agree one hundred percent with Luisa's point of view. I may add some some personal feelings I have with my own government. I notice that they're absolutely aware of the topic, and they know that they have to play a role. But I have the feeling they don't know how they didn't figure it out yet um in switzerland um the government now ordered a open data um platform for also for shared vehicles and they also would like to offer open data or open source um intermodal routing and everything but they're just using the words i have a bit of feeling like they know that this topic is coming they're taking the buzzwords and then they're ordering them without understanding them really they know that they have to orchestrate somehow so they say like, okay, let's orchestrate. But they're missing the tools to really develop the knowledge on how it works, the, 
administrative too much in an administrative perspective they're not in an active role and i hope that the government manages to get in an active role and um, so, so i like the public private partnership approach or the forming goals from the government i hope the companies like here or us seb can like help this government or support the government to form their knowledge and to form the their idea of how it should be so they can set the right goals but then we had it at the beginning i still feel there's a lot of mistrust between everyone which i can understand i mean uh, i think this this orchestrating of mobility is a highly political field and you're scared of all these platform effects because suddenly you have your one big monopolist i mean you don't want to have the, the facebook or the google of mobility sitting in your country and organizing the whole mobility of europe you would like to have your own goals set your own culture your own targets on how your own country is functioning those you'd like a bit scared of these overpowered strong tech companies i guess and platforms but you can't do it on your own on the other hand because you're too weak and you're missing the knowledge luisa once um, criticized me a lot about dig data literacy i think we're missing this a lot on governmental side as well as on svb side mm, i guess alarmingly that can i think be applied to pretty much any any country's government there's a, a huge gap um that needs to be filled uh when it comes to like you say data literacy and and i guess data driven knowledge and, and decisions um and yeah it's a it's a it's a, a huge challenge um and not one that we are likely to see solved in in the short term in any way um along with a lot of the other issues that we've discussed here i'm i'm aware that we are uh i've taken up a a lot of your time already this morning guys so um we'll we'll come to an end there but uh yeah you guys are superstars uh thanks so much for coming on the the podcast and and talking through these points it's, it's been such an eye-opener for for me personally uh, i'm sure it will be for a lot of our audience as well um but yeah guys thank you so much i'm sure this won't be the last time that we we do something like this so thanks a lot Thanks again to Louisa and Julian for joining me. I massively enjoyed this chance to catch up with them after September's webinar and honestly I think we could easily have spoken for hours on these themes. Don't forget, for more from these guys, check out that webinar on demand at intelligenttransport.com forward slash here webinar. Now, we'll be back in a few weeks time with another brand new episode, but in the meantime, don't forget to check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts and become a member at intelligenttransport.com for plenty more exclusive content. For now though, take care, stay safe, and I'll see you on the next one.